0: Well, good morning. Welcome back to um, the world post-Thanksgiving 2020. Um, Here's what I want you to hear this morning. It's more of a question than a statement. Who are you entrusting yourself to? We'll get into that in a second. We're in a series called Follow Me, uh, and we've been talking about this idea that disciples follow, disciples listen, disciples obey Jesus. This is the focus of the series, to point out the obvious and to encourage action. Most of the things that we're going to talk about, you, most people already know. It's the doing of those things, just like we talked about last week. It's blessed are those not only that know, but do the things that he's spoken. So you are here, so you have survived Thanksgiving 2020. Hopefully, uh, you listened to uh, last week's sermon and you walked in humility and showed the love of Jesus with your words and actions as you encountered family members um, that you don't normally do. That's kind of what Thanksgiving is. Today we're going to continue with the obvious but difficult part of trusting yourself completely to Jesus. Jesus thankfully demonstrated what this looks like all throughout the Gospels. He trusted the Father all the way to the cross. And the question for us is, how far are we willing to trust Jesus with our lives? Let's pray. Father, without your intervention, without your influence, without the Holy Spirit, we miss opportunities to know you and experience you and to be empowered to live for you. So this morning, as we read your word, as we look at what you did, if we, as we hear what you said to us, I pray that our hearts would not be moved to what we haven't done, but our hearts would be moved to trusting you with what we have now. Lord, I pray that not that we would be straining towards what we have missed or not done, but we would be looking forward to what you want to do in and through us so lord i pray that you would give us the peace and joy and life change that comes from you alone we pray these things in jesus name amen so i'm going to jump in we've been in the gospels but there's one line that i read this week in first peter that just kind of stirred something in me so we will be in john 14 in just a minute but there's a line that we're going to get to about four verses in. And so I'm going to start reading this section in Peter, and you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, where is this going? But bear with me. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but to the unjust. You're like, oh, Man, like what in the world? Bear with me. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. OK, it gets deeper. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? What benefit is it when you do something utterly stupid and you get yourself in trouble and you get punished for it, but you endure that punishment? Nothing, because you caused it. What he's talking about here is when we endure knowing Jesus, that we're mindful of God in the middle of, and I believe as the church moves forward um, post-2020, it is going to be more, I think it already is pretty difficult, at times, more difficult to stand firm to who Jesus is and what he declares and what he is demanding of the world, word, and how we should be living. So, I think as we move forward, this idea is going to have to be grabbed onto. But the truth is that if we don't know Jesus like Jesus knew his father, we won't entrust ourselves to him. We'll become defensive we'll feel that we need to fight instead of trusting it says but if you when you do good you suffer for it you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of god for it, for to this you have been called because christ also suffered for you leaving you an example which is what we've been talking about all these past few weeks so that you might follow in his steps he committed no sin, neither was deceit found on his mouth. And here, here's the verse, 23. It says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. All the way to the cross. It always baffles me. I mean, we look at these stories um, and that stories. We look at the story of the gospel. As we look at what Jesus did leading up to the cross, it's always taking me. Um, it, like I, I remember growing up in the south. Like we talked about the crucifixion. It always made me angry. Why would people do this to Jesus? Which it, probably should make us angry but it was like i I thought in my young mind like i wish i was there and i could rescue jesus from what he was going to go through like i would beat up all these people that are going to abuse jesus when all of these things were intentionally done to jesus because it was the will of the father because it was our salvation and i it took me so long to understand that and i love the conversation that jesus had With Pilate, and I've said this a ton, where Pilate's wanting to free Jesus. His wife has had a dream saying, have nothing to do with this innocent man. He is trying to wash his hands of the murder of Jesus. But Jesus sat quietly, would not defend himself, would not give, even when he was accused unjustly, he did not prove anything. He sat there quietly, and Pilate tells him, basically, help me. Help me, help you, help me get you off. And and Jesus tells him that you have no power other than what my Father in heaven has given you. There's there's nothing. So you say that you have the power to free me from this, and I'm telling you that you don't have the power to do anything. And he actually says, he said, if I wanted, I could call ten legions or hundred legions to rescue. I mean, he had the ability. I mean, imagine as he's getting smacked and spit on and uh, the Thorn, uh, crown of thorns shoved on his head and blindfolded and hit and say, Prophet, you're a prophet. Tell us who hit you. Could you imagine? Because he is the one that literally holds us together, that created us, that gives us life. Could you imagine being that and having your creation abuse you the way that you did and you sit there Quietly, because he wasn't entrusting himself to them. In John two twenty-four, which we talked about a few weeks ago, um Jesus started doing some pretty miraculous things, and people were getting really excited about Jesus, mostly because they wanted to install him as the king and they wanted to get rid of Rome. But in John two twenty-four it says, But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knew like what they desired, and he would not entrust himself to them. In verse 24, back into Peter um, chapter 2, He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. But by his wounds we have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's demonstrating life for us. And so what I want to do over the next little bit is I'm going to go to John 14, and we're going to talk about how I believe we're empowered to do so. Like, I think it's really difficult. It's really easy to entrust yourself to Jesus when things are good. When life is well and, you know, our bills are paid and people like us. It's another thing to entrust yourself to Jesus when things aren't good, when you have lost your job, when you're struggling with addiction, when, you're, when you fill in the blank, when all these things are happening to you, it's really difficult to go, man, God is good. Like we just sang this good, good father, which is truth. But in the middle of some of our suffering, it's very difficult to see That. And so I think, I I will just say it plainly, I don't think there's any life in Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus told his disciples, which are the original follow me crowd, to don't go anywhere. Wait until I give you power. And where we're going to read today, John 14, is his first promise of the Holy Spirit, which is, I think, how we get to the place that we can entrust ourselves the one who judges justly so john 14 starting verse 15 you'll see some common things that we've kind of talked about over the last few weeks if you love me you will keep my commandments and i will ask the father and he will give you another helper talking about the holy spirit to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees Him nor knows Him. you know him, for he dwells with you. catch this, because this is in John, before Jesus has gone to the Father, before the Holy Spirit has been released in them, He says, "For you know, for he dwells with you and will be in you, which is the promise. It says, "I will leave you, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you." Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I, that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's telling them these things before they happen. I'm sure some of the teachings of Jesus, and I think this is really with us, some of the times we're reading and being in the Word of God when we're not to that place of understanding. We're like, what is he talking about? And I'm sure as he's telling them, that he was like, the helper? What, what are you talking about? Like, we don't need a helper, Jesus. We need you here with us. That's why Peter rebuked him when he said he was going to go and sacrifice himself. He's like, no, because they didn't want Jesus to go anywhere. And Jesus... As telling them it's to their benefit that he leaves. It says, Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, not the one who betrayed him, said to them, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Do you you see see a pattern here? This idea that we've talked about from the beginning of this, disciples follow Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, you're probably not a disciple. And he's telling um, them plainly that, you know, the ones who love me obey my commands. And I, I want you to understand this, that this is not a perfect obedience. I think sometimes we can hear these things in our flawed existence and go, well, I guess I'm not because I'm I'm not perfectly doing these things, but this is the pattern that he's calling us to. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He's saying like, look, what you're getting from me is not just for me. These things that I have spoken to you, why, I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom God will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's why later on, there's there's things that happen to them as they're reading the Scripture, even as, as they're being awakened to it, the Holy Spirit is able to teach and encourage That's why I believe it's impossible to follow Jesus without trusting in, leaning in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives it do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say it to you. I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the rulers, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise! Let us go from here. I mean, can you imagine, like we talked about last week, some of the last words are really important. As we looked at Jesus washing feet, leading by example, all of these things that he's doing, 14, 15, 16, and 17, are some of the last encounters, last times that he's sitting down with his disciples, telling them what they need to know. And what I think is difficult is that when we get in this world and we get surrounded by lots of thoughts and opinions and what's right and what's not right, it's very easy to get confused. And I think that confusion comes when we stop leaning in to the Holy Spirit. And so here, here's where I want to end, which I'm not done, don't get too excited. You know those preachers? I got a friend of mine. He's like, everybody say he's going to close, and it's like twenty minutes later. Um, Not twenty minutes, but I got a few more things. So here, here's some application for you. God has given us the helper and power to live this surrendered life. If we don't lean into that, we'll be entrusting ourselves to ourself, which I don't know about you but like my track record when it's just me leaning on me is not very good. It's dangerous, I think. But when we learn to lean in to the Father through the Holy Spirit, this, this helper that He's sent us, we can get to this place of entrusting ourselves to Him solely. And so here's a couple of things. of If we're going to look to Jesus, so how did Jesus do it and how do we follow it? Well, hopefully through John 14, it's understood that as we do the three things that I'm going to point out here, they have to be leaned into the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have this helper in us, leaning in to him. So the first thing that I think we see through the Gospels that helps Jesus get to this place is that he knew the Father well. How do we entrust ourselves to anything that we don't know or understand? We don't. I I look at it this way. Um, Imagine it through the scenario of a husband and wife. How silly would it be for us to spend all this time courting, falling in love with another person, spending all this time getting to know them, their likes and dislikes, and and discovering, man, I do love this person, so much so that you invest a large chunk of money in this, you know, ring, and you get engaged, and and you make plans, and you spend all of this money to have this wedding day, which I think is ridiculous. Just for the record, and I know this is kind of my job, uh, is marrying people, but like, save your money, two witnesses, me, take care of it and then take the rest of their money and invest in the future anyway and i i'm not just saying that because i have two daughters uh, <laughs> though i am whispering at their ears as they sleep at night but think about it. So you you spend all this time, effort, and energy, and then you go into planning the wedding. You you get everything perfect. You pick flowers and the, the 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 perfect meal and and the setup, and you go through all of this preparing for the day. You're excited. You're like, I I'm I'm getting what I've always wanted. I'm gonna be I'm gonna enter into a covenant with this person that I love, and and and. If, you know, you, you you get to the moment, you walk down the aisle, you say your vows, you declare your undying devotion to the other person. And they pronounce you husband and wife and you kiss. And afterwards you go to the party that you paid all that money for. And you dance and you have a great time. And at the end of the night you part ways and never see each other again. Idiotic, right? I think most, from what I only know American church, but I think most American Christians treat Jesus like that. We get, oh, I love him. We spend this time, and then we say, I do. And then we think, we're together. Like, I wouldn't know. I've been married almost 23 years in February. I wouldn't know much about my wife if I spent no time with her. And when I say, Jesus knew the Father well, he spent time with the Father. We, we are not going to know, we're not going to develop strong friendships with other people or strong relationships with our significant other if we don't spend any time with them. We won't know them. And I think sometimes we work all of this effort and energy to get to this place of saying, I do to Jesus, which I don't think really is the gospel, I don't think you know, our method of just getting people to this place and saying, I do, and then we're like, we've, I don't think that's success. Success is discipleship. Success is people living for and being surrendered to Jesus, not just, I'm there, I made it. I'm excited about baptisms next week. They're steps of obedience, but I, they don't end after those first steps. They continue. And so how did he know the Father well? He spent time alone with the Father. And we're going to talk about baptism actually next week. I'm going to preach on it. Which Jesus modeled for us by getting baptized. But think about it this way. Jesus, and I'm sure he was alone with the Father a whole lot more than we see, but it was very intentional in the Gospels that you see Jesus... Leave the crowd, leave his disciples, and go get away in a quiet place with the Father. And some of those are leading up to big events. Like after his cousin John the Baptist was beheaded, could you imagine? Like, oh, they're killing people. I mean, I know he knows it's coming, but like it's getting serious. And and what did he do? Because he could have been, you know, going, oh my gosh, like what's going on? He went and got away with Jesus. Right after his ministry started, he had 40 days out in the desert. He got alone. And I think it's one of the easiest things for us to do to neglect as believers. I, I, will, I will agree with you that it is easy in our day and age to not spend much alone time with God because there's so much stuff in our world. I mean, our phones buzz all the time, and I don't know if your brains work like mine, but it is very difficult at times to be singularly focused for very long. <laughs> it's just me. I think of some of the greatest things that I need to get done while I'm trying to spend time with Jesus. I'll be like, oh man, I need to order that thing on Amazon. I need. I mean, you. Is it? Maybe it's just me. But I think we need to get we need to develop the skill of st- spending time alone with the Father, and I don't think that happens without us being intentional about it. So knowing the Father and spending time alone with the Father, one of the greatest ways that we get to know the Father is being in His Word. But we get to spend time alone. That's what Jesus did. He modeled it for us. So here's the last of the three, and I think it's the most difficult, but you don't get to number three unless you do number one and two, is Jesus listened and obeyed the Father. Our way to know and experience God is to be doers of his word. Just like in James, it says, you know, it's like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror and leaves and forgets what he looks like. He forgets what he looks like because he doesn't put it into practice. The Word of God, that's we forget the Word of God when we don't use it for what it is. I believe that the, most, the easiest for, way for us to discover God in us, experiencing Him, is listening to what He's asking us to do and obeying. I, um, I don't know if any of you guys have heard of Teen Challenge. Um, our church back home uh, we have sandhills teen challenges like 10 miles from where our location is back in central north carolina um, but they're an organization that works with um, addiction and i have for the longest time and i've been around the ministry i mean i've i love the guy who the director back home and there's a book called the cross and the switchblade which i highly recommend i just listened to it for the first time this week and the I mean, this is 1958. This guy saw this article in Time magazine about these kids that were being tried for murder. And he just had a heart for these kids. He's from the mountains of Pennsylvania, not a city guy. And he literally, the Holy Spirit, just said, go help. And he took a collection on his Wednesday night service to get enough money for gas to go to town. And he... Had no, I mean, like, literally, he goes to the courtroom. He tries to get to the judge or the, um, the lawyers for the kids, and no one will let him see him, and he goes into one of the trial days, and they, they finish the day, and everybody's ramping up, and he's like, if I don't get to talk to him, I'm not. So he charges <laughs> the judge. which I, The judge had been threatened for his life it already from the gang members because he was trying these kids, and he gets arrested. And he's like... Or at he gets carted outside, and they get all his information, and he told them never to come back to the court again. And it's interesting reading this story because this is again in 1958, and our world has just gone crazier since then. And he he drove home kind of disappointed, like man, I've missed an opportunity to meet with these kids. And he and God keeps calling him back to the city, and he goes to the city. And he he just like liter, literally is listening to the Holy Spirit like go down he knows New York City none turn here go here pulls on the side starts talking to these kids and they're like Davy his name's David Davy preacher preacher and so he starts talking to these gang kids and they literally his intro to these kids where the the cops manhandled him, because he was in the newspaper, like crazy pastor, escorted out of, you know, by the cops, in handcuffs, and they're like, you're one of us? Because the cops don't like us, the cops don't like you. And literally, this whole story unfolded, because he was obedient to do something he didn't understand, just like we talked about the water into wine, you know, carrying those water buckets, like, why am I doing this? And the whole—I forget how many states they're in, and how many. I think they have like an eighty percent success rate, which is unheard of when it comes to addiction. And his primary reason why he would say they've been successful is the Holy Spirit. It's because if you don't tap in to the power, you miss what God's trying to do because you don't—you don't—you're not listening. You're not spending time with. And so here, here's my. Here's my question to you. So here's three things. I'll tell them to you again. He knew the Father well. He spent time alone with the Father. He listened and obeyed. So how are you doing with the list? And this isn't a judgment to like, oh man, I'm, I'm absolutely failing. I need to leave. No, no. Here's the great thing about the grace of Jesus. Remember last week when we talked about he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We can look at these lists and go, I'm failing and pour our heart out And that same power and presence is there. So what do you need to work on? See, Jesus is our source of life, change, peace, and joy. Listen to this in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How much of your life are you trying to do on your own? Because entrusting ourselves, just like Jesus said, he continued to entrust himself in the one who judged justly. And not just that moment, he was there constantly. And a chapter later, he's talking about the vine and the branches. If we're not connected, we can do nothing but connected to him, we bear much fruit here's the last verse, and then we're going to invite our worship team back up. Uh, John seventeen twenty-one, which I encourage, if you've not been in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, I think they're probably my favorite few chapters in the Gospels. And in John 17, he has this high priestly prayer. Jesus has this prayer that he's praying for not only his disciples, but for those that will come, which is us. And this is part of that prayer in 17, verse 21. It says that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity... With each other and with the Holy Spirit is how the world sees us. I believe, and I've said this a lot here lately, the world is in desperate need of Jesus. And the world will see Jesus through you. I think it will be less and less likely that unbelievers will walk through our door. I hope that's not the case, but I think in a pandemic and in COVID, it's one more reason for you not to engage with a crowd, which is what church is when you're going to go and meet with other people, worship and sing. And so I think for us, if we're going to get to that place, we have to take it on ourselves to entrust ourselves with Him, to listen and obey so that God can use us in our world. See, they may come once they get to know you into a body of believers that love them, but I think the world is not, and I don't think we were ever intended to be the place that they just come to. We look at the early church. The early church went. And I think it's time for us to get in this place. And I think the bottom of that is, are you entrusting yourself to him so regardless of where you're at and how you feel about the list of these things and i think sometimes we can come to church and i I try to weigh what i'm presenting because i think for the longest time i taught mostly behavior modification that you should do you should not do this you should do this and which i i still agree with we should not do some things we should do other things Uh, But the baseline of that is always connected to the Holy Spirit. And so as we go into our last song of worship, you can sit, you can kneel, you can stand up, you can sing. But if you're struggling, if you're overwhelmed, if you're terrified, if the world feels like it's crushing you, cry out ask Jesus even said he says you don't have because you don't ask and he gives good gifts not like the ones that will be thrown into garbage in a couple weeks after a few months or a few years but he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit let's pray we miss opportunities all the time we don't want to miss this morning. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts this morning. That we wouldn't look at you as a backup plan, our, our safety net, but that we would look at you as our lifeline. Lord, we just ask that you would pour out your spirit in this room. beauty of your spirit is you don't have to have a crowded room for you to be there. Lord, we're gathering right now in the name of Jesus asking for your help to help us live life with purpose live life with joy and peace that comes from you. Lord, we, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can live this way, that we can entrust ourselves to you, that we can live in this place of joy in spite of what we're going through. So, Lord, we thank you that you're gracious. We thank you that you are patient.